0: are beginning a brand new series here um, called Game Changer. And so there are some truths that I believe in Scripture that are absolutely game changers. Um, so what do I mean by game changer? Game changer is that, is that aha moment where you see something that you previously did not see. And if you read the Bible at any, for any length of your, of your life, if you read Scripture, you'll have many, many moments like that. I've been reading the Word and studying Scripture for years and years and years, and today when I read it, I see something I didn't see before, and so I have many aha moments and many what I believe are game-changer moments, but, um, but a game-changer is basically, it's like this transformational truth that can literally take your life from being an ordinary life to an extraordinary life. I believe that God has a call and a plan for every person's life that no one is called to live ordinarily, that we're all called to live extraordinary lives. And so I believe if you want to live that life that God has for you, what I'll call for the sake of our our time today in this series, I'll call the abundant life that God has for you, then one of the most important things for you will be is getting out of your comfort zone getting out of your comfort zone. We all have this this comfort zone, this place in life that is just comfortable. You know, day in and day out, it's simple, it's easy. I feel good about where I'm at right in this place. And and I've always been told um, by mentors in my life, pastors in my life, that if you get to the place where you feel like everything is good, then you're in a dangerous place. You're in a comfortable place. And comfort is not necessarily what's causing us to grow. It is comfortable. And I oftentimes in my life, depending on the chaos that is around, would welcome comfort. Pardon me, I had a sneeze there. Wow. (laughs) But I would thank you for that. But I oftentimes welcome comfort just simply because Life can be chaotic. I don't know about you, but I, I, mean, I, have, I, have, I have a wife, I have three kids, I have two jobs, you know, I have three very active children that are involved in many different things, sports and, and cheerleading and gymnastics and all kinds of different things, and it brings some chaos to the home from time to time. And so comfort sometimes seems like a nice place to be, but When it comes to our faith and our walk with God and seeing God do something extraordinary in our lives, comfort is the last place that he operates. Because after all, comfort is a place where we don't need him to operate. Comfort is a place that we've gotten to that we say, yeah, you know, I'm feeling good about where I'm at. I'm comfortable. I really don't need to, 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 to rock the boat. I feel good. But here's what happens. Usually when we find ourselves in that place for any length of time, we then become bored, we become complacent, we become distracted, we become all these things, and next thing you know, we ask ourselves, well, how did I get here? How did I get to the place where I'm just, I feel, eh. I don't feel passionate, I don't feel excited, I don't, don't feel powerful, I don't feel these types of things, and, but there's a big challenge to moving outside of our comfort zone, huge challenge to moving outside of our comfort zone. But if we are going to see God move in our lives and move in our families and move within our church and in our community and our state and in our nation and in our, ultimately in our world, it's going to have to take moments of stepping outside of the comfort zone and what moments that I will call fearless moments. And so for the first part of this message, uh, the, the title of, of this simple message is very easy. is Game Changers and we're going to talk about being fearless. Today, we're going to talk about being fearless. The more fearless we are in our lives, the more free we are to become and live the life that God has for us. Fearlessness, being fearless, is a game changer. But in order to be fearless, we have to face fears. Now, anybody, ever, anybody, anybody here, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't like to, but if anybody here have an irrational fear that you just know is not rational, whether it's A fear of spiders. Who who has a fear of spiders? Who freaks out when they see a spider? You know that's an irrational fear. They don't mess with you, right? But it doesn't matter, right? do not matter. I see a spider, I'm out, right? And it's always fun. It's always fun. It's never fun to face your own fears. Never. You hear that all the time. Oh, you got to face your fears. You got to face your fears. It's never fun to face your own fears. But it is fun, however, to watch other people face their fears. Facing fears and, and, and not just... Irrational ones, but even, even things that we deem to be rational, the fear of intimacy or connecting with someone or the fear of, of our, with our jobs and our, or the fear with our families or whatever the fear that we have, it's, it's very difficult to face the fears. But facing your fears and becoming fearless is a game changer in your life. And so we're going to look at a story in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and we are going to... Check out some things that Jesus says about fear. So Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41, if you have your Bible, your device, you can turn to it. If not, it will be up on the screen for you to view. But this is what the Bible says. I read out of the New Living Translation. and The Bible says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Then Jesus woke up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped. And there was a great calm. Then Jesus asked them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other, that even the wind and the waves obey him. Popular story that we hear, you know, Jesus is, gets on this boat and decides, I'm I'm, I'm tired. I've been preaching a while. I've been talking to people. Oh, oh, I need a rest. So let's go across the lake. That'll give me a nice nap. He lays down, head on a pillow, going into la-la land to kind of rest. And then, of course, the storm comes. So as we unpack this passage of Scripture, we're going to target what I'm going to say are three game-changing truths as it relates to becoming fearless in this passage of Scripture. Okay, there are three that I'm going to pull out that hopefully... Set us on a path to becoming fearless, and the very first one. This is in your notes as well. There's some blanks for you to fill out to track with us. But, but the very first one is very simple. Following Jesus means making bold moves. Okay, following Jesus means making bold moves. The idea of following Christ in itself. Is a bold move. It's a bold decision to say, I'm going to follow Christ. I mean, after all, you are going to commit to following a man that you cannot see, one whom you've never met, who you've never been able to see face to face, but you're gonna trust and believe on faith that he died for your sin, was raised from the grave sits at the right hand of the Father now praying for you. We are going to make that decision and make a bold move to follow Christ. That is, to me, one of the boldest moves that you could ever make because, honestly, it's foolish. It makes no sense. I mean, I can see my wife. I can look in the seat. I see that she's here. She smiles at me. She makes fun of me. She makes faces at me. I can see her. I can... Touch her. I can hear her. There's a bunch of things that I can see that I cannot see with Christ. Yet I am going to. Yet I am willing to suffer and die for him. It's foolishness. It's a bold move. I mean, if you look at the scripture in this passage where he says, the Bible says, even as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, "Let's cross the other side of the lake." So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind. Now. Here's what you have to understand most Bible theologians most people who study the geography of scripture as much as the truth of scripture they come to realize and say that there are certain times of the day that as you would cross this sea that there were always going to be a storm that you could literally set your clock by it if they had clocks and if they had watches and alarms like we have on our iPhones and our iWatches they could go and say Set an alarm, there's going to be a storm on this lake at this time. It's fact. I mean, I, when I was spent some time in Israel, I was learning from, uh, from, from, the, from the tour guide, and he even said, he said, you can literally set your clock. There's a storm going to come across this lake every single day at this time. So by getting in the boat and by sailing across the water... They were already expecting something to happen. Maybe not necessarily to, to drown, but they were expecting something to happen. And so in deciding to follow Christ across the, road, to the lake, they're making a bold move. And it's the first in a line of many bold moves I believe Jesus is calling us to make. Making the bold step and the bold move to following him is only one. I believe there are so many more that he wants us to make in order for, to, for us to experience all that he has for us. See, the problem is that we want to play it safe, right? We want to be comfortable. We want to stay within this comfort zone. And we will, here's the thing. We were never built that way. That's a conditioning of the world that we've lived in. I mean, think about it. When you were a kid, did anybody in here, when they were a child, say to your parents, Mom, Dad, I'm talking three, four years old, excited, I really want to work my way all the way up to middle management, Or mom, dad, I want to work really, really hard in my life, and I want to be unemployed. Has anybody, kids don't say that. No, kids say, mom, dad, I want to be an astronaut. I want to go to the moon. I want to be a professional baseball player. I want to be a professional basketball player. No, I want to, if they, if they are a young kid with a lot of innocence and a friend who has suffered, mom, dad, I want to cure cancer. Now, that's what our children say. They dream these dreams that are just astronomical that you think, in, in your mind, when they say that to you, they're like, okay, that's, that's nice. That's what we think in our mind. Because in our mind, to us, that's not possible. And it's not possible because we can't, we've not done it. And so we think because we've not done it, or because we've not seen it, that it can't be done, or at least by us, and then we project that onto our children and then onto our grandchildren. Because that's, that's after all, how we are conditioned to think, because we are in this safe place. You know, they would say things like, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a police officer. I want to do all these things. This is what I want to do. I want to do, do these jobs that are just huge, I want to be a deep sea diver. Now, these are the things that our children think of. But somewhere along the line, we lost the ability to have no fear. Kids have no fear today. When they're young, they have no fear. I think about my son. I have a 13-year-old son who's in his junior high group right now. He, he, he doesn't even register. He didn't even register fear when he was young. He, just, just, just a year ago. He's playing with some friends outside. And he thinks he's invincible. And so he decides they're hiding. And he decides to hide in the back of a truck. And he thinks, I can jump completely out of the back of the truck. Land on my feet. Let's just say we're in an emergency room getting nine stitches in his face that night. They don't even think about the danger that there lies ahead. There's some, there's some truth to living that way. There's some there's some, some, something special about being able to live that way. And if you look at this passage, there's something I'm going to pull out of this passage. Maybe you've seen it before. Maybe you haven't. But there's something that's really interesting in this passage that really jumps off the page at me. And I think it's often overlooked. And I say that because I've overlooked it often. And I think the disciples overlooked it that night. And look what is found in verse 35. Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Doesn't seem to make much sense, right? What's so profound about that? Jesus said, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. Jesus did not say, Let's get in a boat and hopefully we'll make it over to the other side. He did not say, Hey, let's get in a boat and we'll see where it leads us. He didn't say anything except, Get in a boat because we're going to cross to the other side. So he spoke a truth that the disciples missed in a moment because they got so consumed with fear when that storm came that they thought they were going to drown, and Jesus is just taking a nap. He's like, and this is kind of my own interpretation to this, but he said, we're going. What are you worried about? I just said, I done said we're getting to the other side. Why are you so stressed out about how we get there? Why are you so stressed out about what comes in front of you while we're getting there? I said we're getting there. So just get in a boat, let me take my nap, and be quiet. Anybody ever say that to your kids? Just let me take my nap and be quiet. But that's, that's that moment. It was a foregone conclusion in the mind of Christ that they were going to the other side. He didn't say, let's head in that direction, and God willing, we will make it to the other side. That's the one thing that in conversation I have a lot that drives me nuts. As, I, as I'm like, I'll see you on Sunday, and I hear, yeah, Lord willing. It's like, no. Say, I'll see you on Sunday. You're intending to live long enough to be there on Sunday. Or you're intending to get your butt out of bed to make it to church that Sunday. Whatever the case is, let's speak with an intention, an intentionality that says, yeah, I'm going to be there. Same thing as, same thing as if you're sick. You speak life into your body to say, I'm healed. There's, some, there's something powerful about the intention of our speech. But he didn't say any of those things. He said, let's cross to the other side. I think we struggle to cross to the other side of where God wants us because of the fear that lives within us. Every last one of us on some level have some kind of fear. Even those of us who make some of the boldest moves and decisions for Christ, there is a fear inside of us. So number 1, we have to understand that following Jesus means making bold moves. You cannot avoid it. If you want to follow Christ and you want to you want to inherit the life that he has for you, this abundant life, this life that Jesus said is to the is life to the full, then you're going to have to make some bold moves for Christ. But here's the challenge. Number two is that fear keeps us captive. Fear keeps us captive. Let's look at verse 37 and 38 of the same story that we have been in. It says, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat, his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Shouting that at the teacher. Shouting that at the man who just a moments before said, hey, we're going to go to the other side. It's not a possibility. It's not a chance. It's a certainty we're going there. And now you're yelling at me because I'm napping and you think you're drowning. This fear that we have, it keeps us captive in this, this comfortable place, in this comfort zone. Here's the reality. When we're in this comfort zone of our lives, the storm is actually smaller than we are. Let me say that again. When we're in this comfort zone of our life, the storm that's around us is actually smaller than us because we're in this place where we say, I have control over this. I have control over that. I'm not going to venture too far out where I, where I might get burned. I'm not going to get too, it's like the people who, if you ever go to a fire that you'll find, you'll find all kinds of people. You'll find the crazy foolish ones that are literally like on top of it, warming up, not realizing they're singeing their clothing. But they're cold, so they're warming their hands over top the fire. Then you have the other ones who are like, I'm warming up. I'm six feet from the fire because I'm afraid that that thing might burn me. And that's, that's the difference between being in your comfort zone and being outside of your comfort zone. I don't necessarily suggest that you stand in the fire intentionally. But sometimes you're going to find yourself in the fire. You're going to find yourself in the middle of a storm and you're going to do one of two things. You're going to fight and push your way through it, or you're going to retreat to where the storm isn't as bad as it was in the middle. It's kind of like when they evacuate a community because a tornado is coming. They evacuate far enough away from the storm that you're not affected by it. And while that's a smart thing to do, when it comes to life and it comes to following Christ, moving as far away from the storm as possible is not going to get you to the life that God has for you. It's actually quite the contrary. It's going to actually keep you from getting to the life that God has for you. So when you're making when you when you're following Jesus and you're making bold moves, it's not only leading you into this abundant life that it has for you, but it's also leading you into bigger storms. That's the reality. Anybody who makes a bold move for Christ is being led to a big storm. You are willingly saying, "I'm going to walk into the eye of this hurricane." But here's the thing. There are times in life when, just like this story, where Jesus will speak to the storm and the storm will be calmed in the moment. But there's other times, and I would suggest more often than him speaking to the storm, is he's speaking to you to say, why do you fear? What are you afraid of? Don't you realize that I've already said we're going to the other side? So, come hell, come high water, come fire, come flame, come fear, we're getting to the other side. Sometimes He just calms you and not the storm. Matter of fact, I would say that's more often the case. But we miss that because we're looking for God to always calm the storm. Think about your prayer life. When you're going through something, you pray, God, I don't want to go through this. It makes sense. Right? I, it makes sense to me the same way. I, when I pray for my children, I pray, God, I don't want them to go through this. Because you know, that's, that's me as a father. That's me loving my family. I don't want my family to be in pain. I don't want them to suffer. I don't want them to go through things. Even myself. You know, God, I, I don't want to deal with this. Jesus, in the garden, what did he say? Father, if there's any way for this, if you take this cup from my hand. So he even prayed it. But the difference between Christ praying and us praying is we don't finish with, but nevertheless, your will be done. We finish with take the cup from our hand. Jeez, I don't want this. Please get it away from me. I'll set that thing on fire so it doesn't come back. That's the way we approach God in our prayer. When the reality is we come to him and we petition him, this is what he said, tell him the things that we need. But the power in our time with God is in the nevertheless, your will be done. That's where the power is. Nevertheless, your will be done. So, but what happens is this storm leads us back into this comfort zone. Because of fear, we lose out on what God has for us in life. And not because we're bad people, not because we have all this sin in our lives, but simply because we've let fear keep us captive. Fear keeps us from making bold moves for Christ. And this will play out. This will play out on your job. This will play out in the home, in relationships, in your finances. This will play out everywhere in your life. This is not something that you can compartmentalize. Men, let me talk to you for a moment. This is not something you can compartmentalize. You can't compartmentalize your fear and say, well, I'm fearful over here, but I'm good over here. That's not how that works. It's actually, if if you haven't learned this by now, I've learned it very well, and I'm learning it every day. Men are very, very good at compartmentalizing things. Just look at an argument between a man and a wife. We can fight. We can throw down. We can go to sleep. And there's, there's no sleep over it. Where the wife is looking at you while you sleep, Trying to figure out how can I gouge his eyeballs out right now. Because he should not be sleeping. Because why? They can't compartmentalize. Everything affects everything. A bad day in the morning, woohoo! going to be some issues at dinner. Just the way it works. That's, we're built differently that way. So men, we, we cannot compartmentalize fear. Fear affects everything. It's going to affect our job. You want to see God do something on your job, make a bold move on your job. Show up on time for some folks. That might be a bold move. Trust me, ever since I have started job two as the marketing director at Chick-fil-A, I have learned that folks don't like to go to work on time. I, you would, it's, it's astronomical, the number of people who come to work late. And I'm like, what is going on? That's a bold move for some. Just show up on time. Actually, a bold move for some. Just show up. But <laughs> let me get off of that. But this fear will keep us from making these bold moves. It will impact our home. It will impact our jobs. It will impact our churches and our faith. And it will impact our finances. It will impact our relationships with others. It will impact if there's a relationship that you're seeking. Even with, with, with another man or a woman as, as, as a dating or a spousal type relationship. It will actually affect your ability to do that. Fear grips someone so hard, it starts to keep them from truly experiencing God. So we have to understand that bold moves, we have to make bold moves for Christ. And number two, we have to know that our fear will keep us captive. Number three, the third thing I want to point out in this passage of Scripture, is that becoming fearless comes from a change in perspective. So I'm going to get to a very practical point of my message here in just a few minutes. But for the rest of our time, until I get there, we're going to talk a little bit about perspective. Because perspective is what what causes us to become fearless. Verse 39. Let's look at 39 and 40. The Bible says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then, the, then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus is looking at them and saying, what is the problem? Or to, or, or to coin words from a funny actor in the 80s and 90s who had his own show called Martin. He said, what the problem is? That's the way I view it. I got issues, I know. I like to have fun. I have my own way in my mind of interpreting the things that Jesus says, not to take them out of context, but just to make them relevant for me. I, I hear Jesus say, when I say, I'm, I, I, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm a little fearful. I hear what the problem is. How, how many times have I got to do something in life for you to trust me? Because the reality, that's what it comes down to, Right? That's what, it's really what it comes down to. I've taken, I, I, I joke about this all the time. I try to figure out what my issues are all the time, but that's a full-time job in itself. And because I think about it like this, I said yes to following Christ, bold move. I said yes to picking up my entire family and moving from the comfort of, this, of, the, of the church that I had been in for eight or nine years, loving serving there, loving the ministry, loving my pastor, loving, 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 loving it all. From there to the border of Mexico, where I was in the minority by 97%, bold move. Then I said, eh, I feel like God said, time to go. So I pack up my stuff and leave. Nowhere to go. It was, it was a nomadic journey is what we joked and called it. We just left. Where's God leading? I don't know. But he's leading. We're trying to follow. Bold move. Then I went from that to the middle of the cornfields as a youth pastor in the smallest place I thought ever existed in the history of the world. I remember the day I drove through the town. I drove through. I was like, oh, this is cute. Whoa. I'm out already? Is that it? Man. I went to high school with 7,000 people. There weren't any, that was like three and a half times the size of the town I was then in. Like, I, I can't comprehend this. That's a bold move. And then I said, okay, I'm very comfortable. See, I can speak of this comfort zone thing. I'm very comfortable in that place. I'm comfortable with what's doing. God's doing some really cool things. You know, I got a whole bunch of adults that are literally running the ministry. I get to preach. I get to counsel. I get to build leaders. I mean, this is what I love and what I'm passionate about. I get to play golf. Man, I am comfortable right now. God says, hey, I want you to move to a city where you don't know anybody. I want you to plant a church. I want you to have a vision to be in a multi-ethnic church in a community that does not... Worship together. Diversity in worship is, is almost non-existent in the city of Peoria, if you haven't noticed. And, I'm, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to go there and I want you to start a church. You have no money. You have no job. Your wife has no money. Your wife has no job. You have three kids. So this is what I want you to go do. Okay. See, I can do that. And that sounds crazy that I can make those decisions, and those bold moves for Christ, right? But I can't Make a decision to let go of my children and let God have them. I can't make a decision to trust him in an extravagant gift that he wants me to give out of my finances. I can't make a decision to trust him that he's going to take care of my spouse when she's hurting. It seems like those are so small. Compared to the big, bold moves. But the reality is, every one of these moments challenges our perspective of God. For me, I can say yes in a second to doing something astronomically big, but can't say yes to small things. Struggle in fear with small things. Big things, come on. What do you want us to do, God? All right. You want us to go build a building? Let's do it. Now, there's wisdom in that, and that's why I have people around me to help talk me off of ledges from time to time. But there's this perspective that's inside of us that we employ the moment God asks us to do something. How we perceive it is going to be how we actually believe it. And here's what I've come to realize about perspective. Perspective is reality to the person. Who has the perspective. May not necessarily be true, but it is their reality, which makes it their personal reality. So, and that can be affected by anything. The way they grew up, it can be affected by all kinds of things in life. But a couple of interesting things from this story is, you look at this story and you see Jesus and he's sleeping. The disciples' perspective is that he does not care. Because he's sleeping while they're in the middle of their storm. And that's how we think. You know, we we come to this storm, we have this thing going on in our life, and we call out to Jesus, and things don't change, so we start to get mad at Jesus, thinking, hey, are you sleeping again like you were in the boat? Do you not see what I'm going through here? Kind of like a Jackie Chan moment, Chris Tucker, do you not understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? I watch too many movies. (laughs) They just come to me. They just, they just do. That wasn't even my notes. It just comes to me. That's not, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Hey, we have, it, we have fun. So, but he's sleeping, and then, the, and then the words that he chooses to use are, why are you afraid? This is an odd question to ask. I'm in the middle of a storm. I'm about to drown. Why are you asking me why I'm afraid? Of course, he knows the answer to this question because it's... It, he has to know the answer to the question because I believe that he asked this question in order to teach his disciples something. So here comes, here comes the lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples because he's going to ask you the same question. Why are you so afraid? I've asked you to do this. I've asked you, I've asked you to speak to your coworker at work and just tell them about Christ. I've asked you to invite them to church. I've asked you to give in the offering. I've asked you, I've asked you, I've asked you, I've asked you yet you're not doing these things. So why are you so afraid? And so, here's what he's teaching. The truth is that to believe it was the storm that made them afraid, it's easy to believe it was the storm that made them afraid. It really is, because it's a storm, and they're on a lake. And if a storm hits a boat on a lake and a boat destroys, it, they go in a lake and they drown. So it's, it, it's logical, it makes sense. But Jesus didn't, here's what I believe, I don't believe Jesus calmed the storm to bring them back to a comfortable position. I believe he calmed the storm to change their, not to change their circumstance, but instead to change their perspective. What do I mean by that? The idea that the storm is bigger than us leads us to a fearful perspective. Jesus was trying to lead them from this fearful perspective to this fearless one. The fearless perspective says that Jesus is bigger than the storm that I am in. That's the perspective. The storm doesn't change. It's how we view it that's what changes. So Jesus, yes, I'm in a big storm, but you're bigger than this storm. Matter of fact, you've heard it said, and I'm not going to say anything profound because it's been said by every preacher in the world, but sometimes we do have to do this. We have to stand up and with our mouth say, tell your storm how big God actually is instead of telling God how big your storm is. Jesus, I'm going through this hell and, and I don't feel you, and I, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful and I, and I don't want to go through it anymore. And I'm not, now I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to stop praying. I'm going to withdraw from people. And Jesus is like, What are you afraid of? I have handled this in the past. You've seen me do it. You've seen me do it for this person. You've seen me do it for that person. I've even done it in you. I did it all through Scripture. What are you afraid of? He's trying to change a perspective. Why do you think he was even sleeping in the first place? He wasn't worried about the storm. His perspective was set on the very first words he said, let's go to the other side. So they have to, you have to believe that God is calling you to the other side. And whatever that other side looks like, it's the other side of health in your, fa- in your, in your body. It's the other side of health in your finances. It's the other side of health mentally, health spiritually. It's he's calling you to go to another side, You've got to know that while you are going, there's going to be storms. And, and the reality is sometimes you just have to go through some stuff to get somewhere. It's just, it's just life. You can't avoid pain. You can't avoid the storm. You have to go through some stuff to get somewhere. So I believe that Jesus calmed the storm to tell them that teach them a perspective. Because look at their words in verse 41. They were terrified. They were terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Their perspective got shifted in that moment. That's what he was teaching. That's what he was hoping for. He's hoping to change their perspective. So let's take, I'm going to take a few minutes, just our next few minutes to make this practical for you. See, because I believe God has many, many bold moves for you to make. I believe that Jesus is calling you to places that you can't even imagine yourself ever going. I can, I can say that confidently. Because I have been places I never imagined going. I have done things I never imagined doing. From a bunch of reasons. From the fact that I'm not worth, I had no self-worth whatsoever that I couldn't possibly be doing what God's calling me to do. Man, I'm pastor in a church. You could, I, 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 would, I could introduce you to hundreds and hundreds of people on my Facebook that every day they're like, what? This guy? And let me tell you about this guy. We don't have time for me to tell you about that guy. But I believe Jesus has, is calling you to places you can't even imagine yourself going. I can see it, not just generically, but specifically in some of you. I say that generically, because I believe that God calls everyone and he has great things in store for everyone, no doubt. But there's specifics with some of you that I can see God moving and, ha- and shifting your perspective into believing who God says you are in the first place and believing that he can do something in your life. And if you allow this message to sink in your spirit, it's going to be a game changer for you. I've seen it firsthand in my own life multiple times, and I, I could stand up here and give you illustrated story after story after story of God moving in my life that it just, it astounds me the things that he has done. Everything from healing to providing to giving strength and courage, everything across the board I've seen him do. So you can be fearless in any storm and you can believe that Jesus is bigger than any storm, but it's going to take a couple of things for you to do that. It's going to take a couple of things for you to do that. The first one is going to take, this is in your, it's, let's make it practical part of your notes, is you have to, you must, it's imperative, it's an absolute certainty, you have got no choice, you have to stay in the Word. You have to stay in the Word. Matter of fact, it is spoken of to meditate day and night, to commit it to my heart, so that I might not sin against God. There's so many things said about his word that are an absolute must, but you have to stay in it. Because here's what happens. The word is, is given to us so that we can have the mind of Christ. That's what the word of God is for. It's to allow us to have the mind of Christ. After all, being a Christian means I'm Christ-like. And so the only way to be like Christ is to read Christ. And so he's given us his gospel, he's given us his scripture, so that we can have the mind of Christ. And it's there to shape our perspective. As a matter of fact, you might go through something one day and a a scripture like Psalm chapter 27, which is extremely popular, might settle in your spirit. And this is what it says when you're going through a storm. The psalmist said, the Lord is my delight and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger so why should I tremble when evil people come to devour me when my enemies and foes attack me they will stumble and fall though a mighty army surrounds me my heart will not be afraid even if I'm attacked I will remain confident and when you hear stuff like that and it's read that way it seems like wow Mm. I'm 10 foot tall I'm bulletproof I'm strong I can handle anything comes my way. Whenever you hear it, you see it, you read it, and you put that 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 passion and that emphasis in it, you feel like you can take over the world. But the problem is, that's not how we read the word. We stay in it like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? Whew, if He just knew what I was going through. The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. Yeah, sometimes. Why do I tremble? Because sometimes I don't feel like I'm protected. When evil people come to devour me, I hide and put my head under the pillow. I close the lights and I hide away. They don't stumble and fall. They cause me to stumble and fall. And though a mighty army surrounds me, I'm just going to cry. That's how we read the word. That's how we get into the world. We don't come into it reading it in its boldness, reading it in what it declares. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? He's my fortress protecting me from danger. That's, there's a difference between the two. Do you see the difference? The perspective changes because I read this and I believe that he will do it. I believe that when the enemy surrounds me that my heart won't be afraid because even if I am in, attacked, I will remain confident that he is, walk, he is working for me. So you have to stay in the word. Number two, you have to start. Go ahead and start small. Last thing I'm telling you is to quit your job and start a church. As a matter of fact, I actually speak the contrary. I've had young men come up to me and, I, and say, hey, I feel like God's calling me to do this. Mainly any time it involves Preaching the gospel from a platform, whether it's pastoring a church, being a missionary, being an evangelist, or whatever the case may be, where you're going to put yourself on a platform and preach the gospel, pastor, teach, lead, whatever. My response is very simple, and I'm not even original because it's not my response. My response is, what else can you do? They're like, what? Like, what else can you do? I know you want to preach, but there's got to be something else you can do. Because you really don't want to do this, I promise you. And they get all offended. Like, what are you talking about? I just told you that God's called me. And I could speak that because I'm telling you my own story right now. I did the very th- same thing with my pastor. I said, Pastor, I feel like God's called me to preach. He's called me to pastor. He asked me, what else can you do? I was kind of blown away by the question. Like, well, I-, I don't understand. What do you mean? He said, what else are you physically capable of doing other than preach? I was like, well, I, I sell building materials at 84 Lumber. He said, good, go do that. I was defended. I was dejected. I was ticked off. I never, never swore against my pastor because he's, he was, I, had, I, I, he was, I loved him. So I was like, there's got to be something to this. I didn't talk to him for three months. <laughs> I'm not talking. I'd, I'd be cordial with him. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm good, pastor. How are you? Walk away like you don't even think I can pastor a church. Right. All of a sudden, something happened in me. My perspective shifted. I started with little things. I was doing little things for God. I was doing. I was teaching a, a fifth graders, and that's actually a big thing. But uh, I was teaching junior high kids, and and I was helping out in the in the productions, and I was doing all kinds of little things to serve God. And I came to this realization, this perspective that said, "There's more. I can't. I'm not. I'm not fulfilled." in selling building materials i'm not fulfilled in these little things and so i asked him for a cup of coffee again and he sat down with me and i said to him i said pastor i feel like god's called me now i know you don't believe and he stopped me he said i never told you i didn't believe i just told you what else can you do and you answered that question for me i was like so i'll ask you again he said what else can you do and i told him i said nothing this burns within me so much that there's nothing I can do. I, I sell building materials, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, very successful, and I don't even want to do it anymore. I do all these little things, and, and none of them even hold a weight to what I feel like God wants me to do. And that's, of course, when he says, okay, now let's move with that. Long story short, here I am preaching the gospel, pastoring a church. But I start with small things. I mean, even the Bible tells us if you're faithful in little, I'll make you ruler over much. And there's more to that passage of Scripture than just what I'm sharing and what I'm able to share right now because there's so much context to that. But the reality is some of us have been caught in fear so long. When you think about what I just said, that sounds crazy. But I didn't start with that. I didn't start quitting my job and p- planting a church. That would be foolishness. But I start with small things. You know, here's, here's how that works for some of you that are really introverted and difficult, have difficulty reaching out. Send someone a thank you note. That's easy. You don't even have to look them in the face. Just write a little thank you. I'm so, I appreciate you. And drop it in the mail. That's pretty easy. It's a small thing. Offer someone forgiveness. Now, that can be a huge thing sometimes. Invite them to church. These are all little moves. Little moves with little risks. But here's what I've realized. Is life gives you opportunities to make little moves for Christ. And these small moves, these little moves, will ultimately develop a confidence in you and a trust in you that will lead you to the big, bold moves that he has for you. That's how that works. I mean, why, did, why else would Jesus say to his disciples, "Why are you, do you still have no faith? You've seen me do all these little things along the way. You've seen me do all these things. And now, what, there's a big thing? You think I can't do it because I've done these things? I've raised someone from the dead. Come on now. I think I'm worried about a little storm. So start small. So stay in the word, start small. And number three and last, worship team, if you could come and get set, we're going to wrap up this message right here. I hope this is helping you with something, with, with overcoming some fears, because I believe that, I believe all of you have fear in you. I know I do. And so the third one and the final one that I'm going to share with you this morning is simply this. Stand on God's promises. Stand on God's promises. And to, to dissect that just a little bit more as our worship team is going to get prepared to, finish, to close us out. I'm just going to speak to you for a couple more minutes. I'm to, and then I'm going to have my wife come and share some information with you. Some announcements and some things that are going on. Then we're going to worship God in our giving and then we're going to be out of here. But before we go, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 through 12. This is what the Bible says. Hebrews 6, verse 11. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent, Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. For example, verse 13, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and will multiply your descendants beyond number. That's just an example. There are promises that God has made all through scripture that we have to stand on as truth. For every fear that rises up in us, there's a subsequent promise that frees us from that fear.